This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with a return guest, my friend Chris Parente, founder of Storytech Consulting. You can find him at storytechconsulting.com. Chris, welcome back to the show, man. Thanks, Mark. Really appreciate uh, coming back. Uh, looking forward to it. What we usually talk about when we get together is what we'll talk about today. But before we start discussing content, I'd like you to reintroduce yourself to those who are listening to this show. Absolutely. And I'll give them the Reader's Digest version, Mark. Uh, technology uh, communications person. I started out on the client side of the fence working for companies like uh, advertising.com and VeriSign, manager of the ComNet domains. And then went on the agency side of things, worked for a number of years for strategic communications group in the B2G space, and then launched StoryTech about six years ago. Loved to engage with clients and show them how to use content to increase awareness and drive their business objectives. Okay, cool. So uh, as I indicated, we are going to be discussing uh, content today, uh, something that is near and dear to both of us. So let's go generic first. Why do companies need content? Companies need content, Mark, to differentiate themselves. I mean, nobody competes in a category of one. Um, So whenever somebody tells me they do not have a competitor, never buy that line, right? And particularly the business to government space where you and I play, I mean, the competition is fierce and you have to get across why you're not just the same as the competitor to your left and the competitor to your right, or you're just going to be competing on price. You know, cheapest price wins. Right. So uh, anytime somebody tells me they have a unique price product, or no real competitors, it, my my first reflex is to laugh, but I try not to. Right. Um, sometimes sometimes <laughs> laughing isn't the right response. But yeah, your uh, your spider sense should go off, no question. Yeah, it should. Uh, so let's talk about content development. Where do you start? I talk with clients, Mark, about starting with understanding the customer, defining the customer. A lot of companies I talk to, they may think they already know that, but it's not simple at all. For instance, you know, the first thing, and you know this well, the diffuse nature of the government decision process. It's not as if there's one or two people that are going to make this final decision. Uh, You've got, you know, inside a government agency, you've got business decision makers, you've got technology decision makers, you've got procurement people, you've got uh, acquisition officers. All of these people have a role to play and you have to understand how your messaging is going to resonate with all of those influencers. And that's where the development of customer personas 
comes into play. And, you know, you and I have talked about this in the past. It can get down to the difference between a, a program manager working for the VA versus a technology specialist working at HHS, let's say. You know, you can avail yourself of research to get extremely defined. So I would say the first step is you have to understand who you're going after. And I would also say that the persona for the end customer is naturally going to be different than a persona for a potential partner, which a lot of contractors are obviously looking for as well. Okay. Once you understand this, and this is funny, I get books sent to me from various publicists and a couple of publishing companies because I I review books on Amazon and I have authors on the show. And Mm -hmm. about eight or nine years ago, I got a book on personas and I I really didn't get it. So I didn't interview the author and, and that was just stupid. Um, (laughs) So uh, just, just, you know, caveat, I make mistakes more frequently than I will ever admit. Okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about the message development side of things. Sure. First of all, having a clear message enables every single employee of your company to be an evangelist without going off the reservation, so to speak. Right. And I find that companies, especially if they're relatively small, they'll make a assumption that everyone knows what we do. Everybody knows what our values are. Everyone knows what our differentiators are. And and that's almost never the case. So now are you talking about employees or the GovCon world at large? I was talking about employees there. Okay. Yeah, employees within the GovCon, a GovCon organization, especially right. if they're smaller, they think they understand exactly the, uh, oh, yeah, sure, I know the elevator pitch, and I know uh, some key messages and how we validate that. Chances are they don't. And if you develop just clear messaging, and, you know, StoryTech helps clients with this, Mark, and I'm not talking about, you know, sometimes messaging gets this picture of, you know, we're going to spend three months deciding what shade of blue is going to go into our logo. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is a relatively quick disciplined exercise involving leadership. You know, what do we say we are? How do we differentiate? How do we validate it? It not only enables every employee to be an evangelist, it also enables the company to begin practicing an ABM strategy, an account-based marketing strategy. Now, most companies are not going to be able to invest in the technology right away to give different prospects a different experience off their website. But if you've got a clear messaging template, you can start to have the discipline to focus most, almost all of your marketing on that specific persona that you've developed, hopefully with some third-party research for credibility, and sending them a clear message of your differentiators. So that's where it starts. Okay. Now, I predicate a lot of my writing on what I get from the studies from Market Connections. And Mm -hmm. six years ago, they did their first content marketing study. And I use a graphic from that when I'm talking to companies or doing a presentation on marketing. So, uh, and the reason I bring this up is they have their fifth content marketing study coming up sometime in 2021, Okay, uh, which everybody should pay attention to. 
Right. Uh, but it was that concept of developing that message and the persona that showed up in their first study that uh, made me stop and think a bit more. The consistency side of this, having the employees grasp this, do they employ it simply in uh, you know, their meetings with people? Should they employ it on their social? How far out could the messaging go? One of the immediate ways they can do it, Mark, and it's not surprising, uh, coming from you and your expertise in LinkedIn is when I when I mentioned the fact that everyone can every employee can become an evangelist without you policing them. I was primarily talking initially on social media, so you can help your clients understand how to be an evangelist, how to stay on message, basic rules of the road. But you don't want your employees doing that if you don't have a clear message map to go from. And it doesn't have to be complex. It could be two key messages with a couple of validators each, and you're off and running. Now, certainly that messaging also should be consistent across all types of messaging. You know, you and I have talked before about the what's called the PISO method of understanding your content mix. So that would be paid, earned, shared, and owned, all different kinds of media. We're, we're going to take a, a quick break. I want to talk about Peso in uh, more detail right after the break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'll be back with Chris Parente of Storytech Consulting right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with Chris Parente of Storytech Consulting. Again, you can find him at Storytech, T E C H Consulting. Dot com. Uh, if you need help in content development, I strongly suggest you uh, you reach out to them. So the uh, go go into a little detail on the Peso model, please. Absolutely, Mark. So again, Peso is a way to understand your content mix. There's paid, uh, which is advertising. There's earned, which often is reflected by traditional public relations outreach to uh, target media. There's shared which is the information you're putting out across your social media channels. And then there's uh, own. Now that is content that you develop and produce and distribute. So a blog post, a white paper, uh, a webinar, that sort of thing. Now PISO is the acronym because it's easier to remember, but that's not actually the sequence that I recommend to clients. So it would be more the owned because you have total control of the message and the product, right? So that's the easiest one to get started with. And then oftentimes my clients like to start with some an earned media effort because not only is that effective because it can bring in third-party credibility, for instance, a, a bylined article, bylined by an executive and placed in one of the federal trades, but it also is going to get you feedback potentially. It's going to sharpen your story. And shared is something obviously that is not that hard to initiate because you have your social media channels. You can share the successes, share your message through those channels. Um, and for, you know, again, no need to tell you that for many in the B2G space, that equals LinkedIn. By far, that's the most prominent channel. And then finally paid. Once, you, once you've done all of that, I think you're ready to start looking at some of the 
syndication opportunities that virtually all of the federal publishers make available to contractors looking to expand their reach and distribution. Okay. I, I know you prefer owned. I prefer owned simply because I generate a lot of content. <laughs> right. But but when when I find something, uh, regardless of the author uh, or the publication, when I find something I like, I love to share it. And what irritates me is that sometimes these are much more popular than things that I own. <laughs> <laughs> right. But again, what it does from my perspective for me is tell people that I'm not afraid to share other people's content when I like it, uh, right. which I think enhances my reputation as well. You know, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Mark, because a quick point about social media content. Obviously, especially let's focus on LinkedIn. Everyone knows that LinkedIn is a business focused platform. But if every single post or if every single share has to do with your client, your company, you're not going to be as effective. So I couldn't agree more with what you just said. Show that your, the vision of your industry doesn't stop at the border of your own firm, right? Share some interesting material, make the reader smarter without asking for anything in return, and you will increase your following, you will increase your credibility. That, that is a core tenet of content marketing done properly. Yeah, and I, just just a uh, quick thing here. Uh, I would encourage all professional marketers in GovCon to start generating some content because every time I see something that comes out of somebody I consider to be one of the frontline experts in govcon marketing i love it i share it but i don't see enough of it yep so yep. let's talk about objectives yeah. so um just take it sure <laughs> you bet yeah let me talk about objectives and also let me talk about how you can prove some roi uh mark because i know that to some people i'm sure there are some salespeople out there in your audience who are thinking oh this sounds interesting but you know, it sounds just a little ephemeral. And how do I, how do I know that it's working? Well, you know, I have these conversations with clients. I say, you know, let's talk about your content. Let's talk about what the objective is. So there's basically four objectives. There's reach, there's engagement of potential prospects, there's conversion, and then there's retention. Um, and each one of those can, you can relatively quickly take a look at how effective your efforts are being. So for instance, you're looking to increase your reach look at your organic search traffic and look at your unbranded search traffic is it bringing more people back to your site are you seeing you know increases in volume same thing with and this by the way can be done with something like google analytics this is not you know a sophisticated analytics platform and when you're looking at engagement am i engaging those visitors well there's metrics such as time on site bounce rate the amount of social shares and things like subscriptions. So for instance, if you have a newsletter, have the subscriptions picked up, all these are tangible metrics that you can demonstrate that your content is delivering on its objectives. Um, and then I think when you get to the conversion and retention stage, these are metrics that people probably are a bit more familiar with, you know, how many leads are you generating? Um, how much revenue is occurring? 
And then when you have enough of a database, you can come up with things for retention, such as lifetime value or customer acquisition costs. So, you know, there are metrics for ROI that attach to each objective to your content uh, to demonstrate that you're heading in the right direction. Okay. So you, you kind of touched on the, uh, on the SEO there, I think, without really mentioning it. So go back to that analytics portion. Is that going to give you the uh, search term that brought people to your content? And how important is that? Uh, well, Google Analytics does not, as you probably know. A few years ago, they stopped doing that. Which was the stupid. The, well, the consensus was it was, it's gonna, you know, it was gonna drive their own AdWords business as opposed to telling people. But you can do a relatively quick analysis, Mark. You can look at the search terms that your competitors are doing. You can see some of the terms that are bringing traffic to your site. Um, and then there are, there are tools like uh, SEM, SEO Rush, and things of that nature. There are tools that do give you the keywords that are bringing traffic to your site. And you can use that, obviously, to drive an AdWords campaign. But organic search, Mark, in the B2G space, there's a more finite audience. And I've found that if companies religiously publish good content on specific topics, Katara, uh, if you're in the satellite space, if you talk about issues that are relating to spectrum, things of that nature, you'd be amazed on the results that you can get in raising your organic search results just on a consistent message. And then obviously making sure that you're providing a good mobile experience and the other things that Google looks at before they decide how to rank your content. Yeah. Um, so one, one, one other follow-up there. Um, I encourage people when they're writing their about section in their profile to include what is now eliminated, but there's enough space to include it, the specialty area. Mm-hmm. And I, I encourage them to use the industry jargon, especially the more finite their area of expertise is, to include that industry jargon as part of the specialty area. Right, right, absolutely. So you you agree with that? I totally agree with that, and uh, and I would assume also including it in there uh, in the meta tags and so forth. Right. Right, and you know when you're generating content, don't avoid the jargon. If you're writing for a specific, if you're writing for a management audience, you might want to eliminate most of it. But if you're writing for a technical audience, why? Yes, exactly. You, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all the audience you're writing for. You understand their expectations. You know, the joke is that, you know, telecom used to be the worst industry for acronyms, but, you know, the government's been leading for quite some time now. <laughs> We, we will invent new ones during the show. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So somebody, somebody out there thinks we invented PISO, but believe me, we didn't. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I shall return with Mr. Parente right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Chris Parente of StoryTech Consulting. You can find him at storytechconsulting.com. Uh, and we're we're discussing content. We we didn't talk about this before, so I'm I'm going to interject before we get to gating content. The name of your company is intriguing. It's not 
content tech consulting. It's story tech. Right. The power of stories. If you've got a good story, you know, go back to the about section where I talked about the specialties last segment. If you've got a good story about how you got where you are in the market, that about section could be a great place to introduce yourself to somebody. Absolutely, Mark. So do you do that? I haven't looked at your about section the last week or so. You know, I do. I tell my story, but I try to tell it in a way that would resonate with the uh, audience that I hope is reading the site. So for instance, um, I tell a story about how corporations can tell their story. They can actually take on what I call the publisher mindset. I've got a couple of videos on my site to talk about that. And on the specific about section, I try to tell my story about being in technology for over 20 years, starting on the client corporate side of the fence. So I think I understand what they're looking for uh, from an agency. So yes, I I appreciate the question, Mark. And uh, I think I'm doing an okay job, but um, right after this interview, I'm probably going to examine how I can do it better. Well, I, I know you do better than an okay job for your customers. Otherwise, you wouldn't be on the show. So, <laughs> well, thanks. So, so there you go. So I want to talk about uh, gated content. This is a topic that Lee Fredrickson and I talk about a lot because when we get on an interview, uh, either his uh, podcast or my show, we always end up talking about how much stuff we give away. Right. Um, where does the gate come in? Why and how? Okay. I don't think you can talk about the gating question without talking about the lead scoring system that the company has put into place, Mark. So, I mean, they go hand in hand and, you know, you should have a good idea of what kind of progress the prospect makes through your funnel and and what is fueling that funnel. And what I find is, you know, at the top of the funnel, you know, you're not asking for their information. And I guess the other tack, the other phenomenon that has to be addressed, and you and I have talked about this a lot, is what some people call the dark funnel, right? The fact that 75% of a prospect's research into a product or service is over by the time they raise their hand and they want to actually engage with a vendor. So knowing that, you have to understand that people are not going to want to self-identify right away. It would be like being a far too aggressive on a first date. Let's put it that way, right? You want to share, you want to help the prospect get to know you. You want to help them solve a business problem. Um, so those could be blog posts. They could be a infographic. It could be a short white paper. Uh, it could be a case study. So you want to, you have to nurture that process through the sales funnel using whatever, you know, methodology you use, say, okay, this person has downloaded four things. Now it's time to present them with something that is gated. Uh, Perhaps it's a webinar sign up. Perhaps it's a, uh, well, the the most, most direct gate would be, you know, click here for a conversation with one of our salespeople, that sort of thing. But you can't go for the gate too soon. And um, this might be one of the reasons you asked, because I see a lot of the, you know, the sales versus marketing that develops in some companies, you know, sales always wants it to be gated. 
But I think what they need to understand is that because of the fact that people aren't going to raise their hand, anything that educates prospects is helping sales. So there's sometimes that disconnect. Oh, if it's not gated, we didn't get anything out of it. So that's why you have to understand how your prospects go through your sales funnel, go through your lead validation process. Right. And and that kind of brings up that corporate executive board study. CEB is now part of Gartner, but right. you know, 60% or 57 to 70%, uh, a significant portion of the B2B buying world and B2G buying world does research on a company before reaching out. And part of that is finding that ungated content. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's seven or eight years back now. That's the 75% dark funnel figure that I quoted. Yeah. 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 But I mean, even the more recent studies are showing basically the same percentages, right? Exactly. So let's talk about the content types. Uh, Obviously, there's low-hanging fruit here. It's easy to like publish on LinkedIn. You don't yep. have to set up a blog. You can blog right there. Yep. You don't have to do a PR campaign. You can post an article about, you know, the new hire or, you know, something about your company right on your profile. And then you can start sharing it with people. When people reach out to you and they don't have a content program in place, where, where do you start them? Talk about the types. Sure, absolutely. Establishing a regular blog cadence is usually a very feasible first step for most companies. I mean, why wouldn't you do it, right? You've got experience, you've got clients. So starting a regular blog, and by that I mean, let's at least get something once a week out there. You're giving people that content you just talked about. You're establishing SEO with fresh content every week. Putting together a newsletter is a far less heavy lift than it used to be in the past. You know, take a couple of recent blog posts, add an interesting story from the industry that you think will help and be, you know, a, a curated newsletter and start putting that out. It gives people something to convert to. As I talked about in the engagement factor, you can, hey, our newsletter signups are up. So you're developing a house list. That's a very effective tool. A lot of folks now like podcasts. Podcasts can be very simple to record these days. Um, And then you get down to the things that take a little bit more investment, a uh, white paper, a webinar that's farther down the funnel. Uh, You're probably going to have to, you know, work with a third party who's going to give you a distribution element to that. Uh, Video, short videos are a great thing. And again, technology is coming to the point where, you know, a lot of folks can do simple stuff in-house. So a varied type of content is usually more effective. Some people learn via images. Other people are more text-bound. My issue with bringing people into content is not choosing where to start necessarily. It is building the audience. Uh And most people... Uh, don't have, I mean, everybody wants to start a newsletter and most people don't have the patience to put it out on a regular basis and wait for the traffic to build. Yeah. You know, and, and a lot of the newsletters that I've seen, even from some midsize companies uh, and larger are, you know, so me too kind of thing 
that, you know, who cares? Mm, yep. So when, when you structure that newsletter, how? Give me, give me a yeah. little more meat here. Absolutely. So again, it goes right back to your messaging. Were you able to communicate why your company is different? Uh, are you helping people solve problems that they come across? These are not, you know, warmed over press releases turned into blog posts. You know, these are something focused on, you know, here's how a client, usually, of course, you can't name them, but here's how our client solved this issue. It is a taking an opinion about something in going on policy related in the press. I'll just, you know, do we have an opinion on uh, CMMC? Do we have an opinion on uh, the latest uh, NIST standards that FedRAMP is going to be requiring? Take, have an opinion, back it up, and make it a valuable piece of content for someone to read. And, you know, gradually you will increase your audience. And that's also good content that you can start to experiment with some uh, paid social campaigns to accumulate followers and spread your reach that way. Yeah. And I, I want to touch on that, you know, uh, particularly when you said NIST, it reminded me of a friend slash client I had about seven or eight years ago. NIST released one of their standards things and there was a glitch in it. And my friend called and said, there's a glitch in this. What should I do? And I said, you should write about it, share it with them first, but then publish it. And he did. And he picked up a couple of gigs because of that. It really resonated. So, you know, having that point, an educated point of view and pointing out, you know, missing steps can lead to extraordinary things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Mark, let me go back to uh, your question on content types, too, because I, I'm going to have to give another shout out to uh, Market Connections because I believe you mentioned this study. I, I do think this is 2015 data, but they highlighted uh, a very interesting disconnect between the type of content that contractors were producing versus the kind of content that government people were saying they wanted to consume. Yeah. So, yeah. So let me give you a couple of these numbers. Hi, hang on a sec. We're sure. going to pick that up right after the break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. Chris and I shall return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Chris Parente of Storytech Consulting. You can find him at storytechconsulting.com. That's T-E-C-H. And Chris, you were talking about the content disconnect from, and I think they've done this in each study since uh, the 2015 study, but the disconnect is exactly what? So the disconnect was between, according to market connections, and I believe this is 2015 data, but the disconnect between what the content that contractors were producing versus the content that government decision makers were saying they wanted to consume. So let me give you some of those numbers, and I hope these numbers don't make what I said look bad, <laughs> but <laughs> webinars. So 68% of government decision makers said they wanted webinars, but only 38% of contractors were producing. Uh, research reports, government decision makers, 69% said they'd be interested in more of that sort of content. 
only being produced by 35% of contractors. Um, oh, marketing collateral. Okay, so thir only 37% of government decision makers said they wanted marketing collateral, but 69% of contractors were producing collateral. So yeah, so they're highlighting here a, a disconnect. And again, the value of research to give you a quantifiable, you know, either confirm what you suspect or let you know of something you're missing um, can be incredibly valuable. Cool. All right. So uh, to wrap up, I, I want to, we have about eight or nine minutes left. So I want to go through some points that I made in that article uh, from Wash Tech a year ago. The article, if you're mm -hmm. interested, is Understanding the Challenge of Short Attention Spans. And I wrote the article because I ran across something that, that indicated that the average attention span is about nine seconds. So content's usually a little longer than that. So, and, and these are the bullets I created at the end to tell you how to uh, hopefully get more of your content into the right hands and absorb. So mm -hmm. one, one main piece of IT, uh, content per article one main idea. Right. Yeah. You cannot, you can't write a novel in a blog post for sure. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and this, this is one you and I've discussed several times, compelling headlines. Right. Can you give me an example of, uh, do you have a formula for developing headlines? I do. And it, and it flows directly from the SEO research. If a company has not done any SEO research, we can do the research for them. We can both see uh, the terms that they're ranking for, we can also see the terms that their competitors are ranking for. And while you're, you know, you want to make sure you are writing for a human. In fact, as I think you know, because we've talked about this, if an article is just stuffed with keyword terms and it's, you know, it's not well written, Google will actually ding you for that. But you want to include what you called, I believe, the government jargon, uh, the government acronyms. If it's an accurate description of what the post is about, then it should be in the headline, right there in the headline. And I think real quick, I don't think we mentioned this. I mean, there are tools, I use something called Yoast, Y-O-A-S-T, but there are tools that as you're creating a blog post, it's telling you how your SEO score is. Did you mention the term enough? Uh, have you ever used this, you know, focus word before? You use the term, but it's not in the first paragraph. All those sorts of things. So there, there are tools that can assist you with that. Cool. Um, I cite original sources as necessary. If you lift something from somebody and Google recognizes it, you're pretty much toast, right? Uh, yeah, I always mention it. And within reason, uh, link back. I know some clients don't want to give their prospects too many chances to leave. And I, I understand that perception, but yeah, you, you definitely, you definitely have to cite it and you're still providing a great service to the reader by pulling this all together in a coherent way. So it, it still is making you look very knowledgeable on the topic. Agreed. What about hashtagging? Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously hashtagging started in the Twitter world. I think what started to trip some people up was when they were, you know, people started using things like Hootsuite to put the same message out on three or four or five different platforms at the same time. And 
obviously the hashtag conventions are not the same on the various platforms. So that made some people look a little silly. So you, you want to watch out for that. Um, I mean, you're the man on LinkedIn. I know that you feel strongly about letting people know when you are mentioning them or their company. What about, uh, what about topic hashtags? I'd love them. Uh, yeah. You know, the topic hashtags, the acronym hashtags. But if I'm writing about someone and I want to be on their radar, yeah, I'm, I'm going to tag them. Sure. Heck. <laughs> Especially, you know, if I'm sharing their stuff, why wouldn't I? Exactly. And why wouldn't you as long as your stuff is high quality? Yeah. We're, yeah. We're well, not, I'm not, I'm not going to share something that sucks. Yeah. yeah, exactly. There you go. There you go. Well, hey, we've all seen it, Mark. It has to be said, right? <laughs> yep, that's true. Um, this, this one should really resonate with you. Repurposing your content. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There, there are so many ways to do that. One piece of content can be used in so many different ways. Let's take a blog post. That blog post can become fodder for a number of different social media posts because you're not going to might not want to try to put everything out in one of them. That can also be the genesis for a, a bylined article. So if you take a look at your analytics and you see a particular topic is resonating with visitor, uh, with users and lots of visitors are coming to your site, you might want to expand on that topic, turn it into a bylined article. Um, a bylined article that is successfully placed can be something that you want to feature on your the new section of your website, for instance. So yeah, there's, you know, create once and use multiple times for sure. Yeah. We're running out of time, but there's a couple more I really want to hit. And this touches right on with what I think you just said, generating content on a regular basis. Oh yeah, absolutely. You have to have a regular cadence. You know, like I said, shoot for once a week, if that's just not possible as much as you can, because yeah, it can't just be a once in a while. You're not going to get the SEO. Um, you're not going to have fuel for everything else. Sometimes when I talk to clients about content, they're just thinking of it in a marketing sense and they're not thinking of it as a, all of these market automation platforms that are out there need content to start their nurture campaigns. You, you, you just can't run it on nothing. So yeah, hundred percent Mark. Okay, cool. If you want to see the rest of these, again, the article is understanding the challenges of a sh of the short attention span. It's in Wash Tech from March twenty, uh, so it's a year ago. Uh, Chris, give me some final thoughts. Why why should people uh, consider content, and why should they reach out to Chris Parente? <laughs> um, I think we well, I think we've touched on a lot of different reasons why you need to have content. You, you, it's, it's just too competitive a world not to show prospects and your customers, because you want to keep them, why your company is not just like competitor A and competitor C. Uh, so, and it's an integral part of your success. It's not, an it's not an integral part of marketing. It's an integral part of everything that you do. Um, and as far as uh, StoryTech Consulting, thank you, Mark. Um, I think that oftentimes we, we're also, there are a lot of passionate people working in the GovCon space. And I think that 
having a third party who is part of the team and yet also can take a bit of an outside view um, and has a track record like I do is uh, is somebody that you'd want to work with. Indeed, that that outside point of view, it's like why I have my stuff edited uh, usually by my daughter. It's got to it's got to uh, be edited for flow, for clarity and for grammar. Uh, but that outside point of view goes beyond that. Does this really resonate? I mean, companies know what they're trying to say. They think they know who their audience is, but oftentimes they're still missing a piece or two of that puzzle. So having that third party, uh, not just validation, but guidance to make sure you have a validated program is key. Absolutely, Mark. There's a lot of, you, you see it as much as I, there's a lot of me Tooism in the GovCon space and you need to break through that. And uh, we try to help clients do that. Yep. Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, both Mr. Parente and I make our living consulting in this market. I happen to consult primarily on building a subject matter expert platform, differentiation, content marketing is part of that, but leveraging LinkedIn is what I use to bring it all together. So if you're interested in that, drop me a line at markhamtower at gmail.com. Reach Chris at storytechconsulting.com. And thank you for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. There's a better way to drive traffic to your e-commerce store. Harness the power of AdRoll Dynamic Display Ads. Promote your products with interactive ads or showcase your best offers with an in-ad video. Not only is it easy for customers, you save money too. Dynamic Display Ads lower cost per conversion by 50% compared to static ads. See the difference. Visit AdRoll.com to get started today.